This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Yeah, I remember the hardest part was calling my grandpa, who like worked at AT&T for 40 years and was like, you're leaving that job. Like, yeah. you, you're moving across the country. <laughs> and I just was like, I felt like I wasn't learning. Mm-hmm. And I felt like there was a cap on what I could do in those roles. And if I'm not learning every day, I can't be happy. Yeah. Like, That's I don't care so if anything else, like there's so many people who just want to work for money and whatever. And I'm like, I have to be obsessed with what I'm doing every day. Me too. Because you're doing it like eight to 12 hours a day. And like, how can you be happy? You know, if you're miserable half your day, basically, no matter how much money you're making, I've always kind of felt like that. Same. Welcome to The Real Real, where we go behind the highlight reel and go into the unfiltered. I'm your host, Natalie Barbu, and let's get into it. Hello, Steven. Thanks for coming on my podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. We met through Zoom a while ago. I don't even remember who introduced us. It was through something about influencer marketing, Rella. I honestly have no clue what the conversation was. I was going to ask you. (laughs) Yeah, I think it was was something to do with Rella, something to do with influencer marketing. I don't fully remember, but I've been following you, obviously, seen the growth of Olipop. And I'm a huge Olipop fan myself. I think I remember telling you that. Um, And so I was so excited when I was like, wait, I'm coming to L.A., I want to meet in person. I want to have you on the podcast because I think Olipop is so incredible and I want to hear what you're doing at it. So Cool. Yeah. I'm happy to be here. Perfect. So I always like to ask people before like, I get into the details about the meat of the episode, what were you doing before you were at Olipop? So what was your very first job? So I studied finance in college. We had a student-run hedge fund at Penn State where I went. I got into that as a sophomore and I managed the consumer sector my junior and senior year. And so I was in, you know, a finance major, but I was like deeply studying these like publicly traded consumer companies. And, you know, once you start to unpack a little bit of the CPG space, like 700 brands are owned by 10 conglomerates. And that was kind of fascinating to me. And then I was way more into like the consumer side of it than like the financial side of it, I would say. So that kind of piqued my interest in like brands and marketing and consumer psychology. And then I actually did consulting my first job out of school. And I thought like I was working at Deloitte and those jobs you can, they work in every industry. So I was like, oh, maybe I can do consulting and consumer. And I got to the Philadelphia office for Deloitte and found out on my first day that I was the healthcare life science office <laughs> and no one told me that. And I literally got staffed on like a health insurance client in like Naperville, Illinois as a 22 year old. And I was like, all my friends were in New York, like doing investment banking. And I was, I was so miserable. And like, you don't think about it when you're in college, because you're like, oh, I can travel great. Yeah. But like 6am flights every Monday. Like that's the worst Sunday scaries you can, yeah. you can have. <laughs> I have such a similar story. I worked at Accenture after college. I did. And I also thought, oh, it's a consulting company because I studied engineering in school, but I didn't want to do anything really with engineering. So I was like, let me do consulting because you get exposure to different industries. It's a good job. And I was like, okay, I can do something in the marketing side of things with Accenture. Like they had some like growth and strategy section. And and I was like, oh, that's what I'll do instead. No, I got stuck do testing like a banking. I was literally running a uh, like the customer service call center for Blue Cross Blue Shield Illinois as a 22 year old. It was crazy. (laughs) Consulting seems so prestigious. Like it's like, oh, you work at a consulting company after school. Like it's hard to get into. And then uh, my role, I felt like a middle schooler could do it. Like it was such an easy I was babysitting literally yeah no I was testing an app I was hitting buttons (laughs) and reporting if something was wrong and I'm like the thing I learned the most from consulting was how to get really good at packing because I was (laughs) like I would go and I would go to fly from Philly to Chicago on Mondays and on Thursdays you could either fly back to Philly or fly anywhere else in the country for equal or lesser value so I would like that's when I started coming out to LA and that's actually when I kind of fell in love with LA and like I would go on these, like, I would basically go back to Philly every other weekend. And mm-hmm. so I was living out of a suitcase. But that's, like, so draining and taxing. You have no, you know, I'm working out at this, like, Marriott every day in, like, yep. <laughs> Naperville. And it's, like, so not glamorous. There were glamorous projects, but, like, for every one glamorous one, like, the other ten were, like, so brutal. <laughs> yeah. No, I was on that one project the whole time, and I quit after nine months. I was so. 11 months. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very similar. So. And I, I just was like, okay, got to get in the consumer and, like, a friend of mine from college knew I wanted to get back into consumer stuff. And he saw like a job posting for a consumer investment banking role in San Francisco. And I really wanted to go to California. I wanted to like get out of the bubble of the Northeast that I grew up in. And I honestly flew out there, got in, like had my final run interview at the bank. It was called Cowan and Company, like a small investment bank based out of San Francisco and like got my offer 
while I was leaving the interview and like accepted it before my flight took off. Oh and I literally like flew back to Philly, packed my stuff. I had a month of training in New York, but then I moved out to San Francisco and I, I like loved San Francisco. I loved like the newness of it and the startup ecosystem there, but it was like a middle market investment banking shop. And like, we didn't like win a lot of deals. So it was a lot of like pitching and making decks, but like not actually getting to do the, the deals that you want on your resume. It's just like why you do investment banking. So that I lasted nine months and I was like, okay, this is kind of a dead end too. And I was super into Shark Tank, honestly. And I really wanted to do something in the world of like startups and venture capital and like 23 years old in San Francisco. It was just like the thing. I really wanted to get equity. I was mm -hmm. like, I was in that phase of life and found this company called Circle Up that was like kind of like an angel list, like matchmaking service for investors and start consumer brand startups. And I joined as employee 10. They just raised their Series A. And like, I just started meeting founders. Like I had to was trying to onboard, you know, founders and businesses that were raising seed or series A rounds and needed to meet, wanted to meet investors. And, you know, you started meeting people. And I, you know, I was talking to 30 or 40 brands a week for three years. And I was at every trade show, I went to my first Expo West, um, like a month into the job. And I just like fell in love with it. And like everybody was there for the right reason. It was like good people, motivated, not necessarily just by money, but by like actually making a difference in the world. And we ended up raising a VC fund while I was there. So I kind of went from this like, you know, more of like an advisory role. It was like a junior investment banking role kind of into like an actual investing role. And yeah. so we were one of the first kind of seed in Series A investors focused on better for you consumer and plant based and all that. And I kind of went on my own health journey through that as well. And I just like fell in love with that. I really fell in love with e-commerce. I really fell in love with beverage. I was kind of watching the influencer marketing world unfold as an investor. And I just like, kind of got to a point three years in where I was like, I can only learn so much about this by being on this side of the table. And I knew all these founders and I, you know, like Whole Foods was always curious in who we were investing in because that would mean they'd have dollars to go spend in the retailer. So mm -hmm. I was friends with all these buyers at different retailers. And I was like, I know all these people. Like, I, I bet I could be pretty impactful on the brand side. And so that was when I dove into the actual operating side. And I moved from San Francisco to LA. I went to like this food tech meal delivery startup here that was not a great experience. They burned 50 million in funding in a year and went to zero, oh which gosh. was wild. And then I met the Ben and Dave who were working on the first iteration of Olipop had like samples in a soda stream and they're raising money. Somebody sent me their pitch deck and I kind of immediately knew like I had seen this trend unfolding of like better for you consumer products that were kind of blowing up and no one had done like really done better for you soda yet. And I just was like, I grew up drinking soda and I was like, a soda that has gut health benefits and actually tastes good and is priced under $3, I thought was something that could change the world. And I literally cold called David and I was like, hey, like, got your pitch deck. Like, I'm an investor. I'd love to meet you. But I was really just like trying to meet them so I could work with them. And I was right. like, I think I'd help you raise money. And so they took a flyer on me and I came on as like employee one to help with fundraising. And I never left. So wow. it's been five and a half years. <laughs> That's amazing. And so with your previous job where you were Circle Up, it was called? Yeah. Where you made connections and you're, you know, connecting founders, investors, like the Whole Foods contact. Were you kind of totally solo in that role on how to on building your network or was the team around you helping you like, hey, call this person, talk to this person? Like, is that where you learned how to really network and like meet the right people? Yeah, or have you a, always been like that? It was a total dot connector role. I've always had it inherently, like mm -hmm. even like I had friends in college who were like visiting other colleges where I had other friends. I would like always introduce them. No one told me to do that. I just. Right. I'm kind of, a, I'm a Gemini and I feel like it's like inherent <laughs> to our nature, but yeah, our CEO there was like hyper connected in investor world. He had been in private equity for a long time and honestly, he didn't love the networking side. And I think he kind of wanted someone who he could sort of mentor and train and like send to his meetings and to go to trade shows in his place. And that person just kind of became me. I had a knack for it. And I, you know, in retrospect now, I've probably met, I don't know, 8,000 founders in the last seven or eight years. And like, I love them. They're like the most interesting people in the world. You got to be like, a special type of like driven and crazy and, you know, have an appetite for risk to start a business. And I have like a high appetite for risk personally, but I also have like, I think almost too much knowledge of how hard it is to start a consumer brand. So I'm always like, will I ever start my own? I don't know. But I'm, I think quite good at finding the good founders, connecting with them and being helpful. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, Circle Up was like a perfect place to do it because everybody wanted to meet us. You're an investor. People want to meet you. Right. And other people want to invest in the deals we were looking at and the retailers wanted to know who we were investing in. So I had this like carte blanche to kind of meet anybody I wanted. Then like the bigger funds in the space wanted to be friends with us so that they could, you know, meet the brands we were investing in so they could invest in them in the future. So I 
I just kind of became the guy there that was like out running around and meeting with everyone. And it's funny because I was like, I was like afraid I'd be the forever connector and not the operator. And so being an Olipop, I've been able to like take all those connections and people I've met over the years and like channel them into one thing, which is Olipop. And actually, instead of being the one introducing the brands to the whoever, getting to be the one to actually drive the conversation and like put the partnership together or sign the celebrity or whatever it is now um, or open up sweet green. Like I worked on that for us as well. So it's like manifested in all sorts of different parts of our business, but it's something that no one ever told me to do. I just sort of was like, I've always been a connector of sorts. I think that's something that you can learn, but it's one of those inherent qualities I think that you have to have where you just are curious. I think it's curiosity, which is I'm very curious. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be a very curious person to even like want. I left those first two jobs, which again, it's consulting investment banking. Like I remember the hardest part was calling my grandpa who like worked at AT AT&T for 40 years and was like, you're leaving that job. Like you're moving across the country. (laughs) And I just was like, I felt like I wasn't learning. Mm -hmm. And I felt like there was a cap on what I could do in those roles. And if I'm not learning every day, I can't be happy. Yeah. Like, That's I don't care so if anything else, like there's so many people who just want to work for money and whatever. And I'm like, I have to be obsessed with what I'm doing every day. Me too. Because you're doing it like eight to 12 hours a day. And like, how can you be happy? You know, if you're miserable half your day, basically, no matter how much money you're making, I've always kind of felt like that. Same. So. Yeah. That's why I always say, like, even when looking for friendships, relationships, like people I'm compatible with, I always say, like, I would much rather have like someone that complains all the time about everything is like my least favorite type of person because yeah. I'm like you can change it like yeah. you can like better yourself and change and mm-hmm. move on and try something new so it's always been like something Their energy sucks yeah Suckers. yeah exactly and on the connectors point there are like definitely good and bad connectors I have some people in my life who like I don't know like lean on me as like they like as someone they always want to introduce and like often that's great I meet awesome people I'm sure that's how I met you mm-hmm. but there's like also people who are not like always thinking about the value of the introduction they're making and they just like and also people, the biggest, my biggest pet peeve is when people don't do the double opt-in when they just like introduce me to someone without oh, asking me. And like, it's the bane of my existence. And I, whenever anybody asks me for an intro to anyone, I always clear it with the other person every single time, no matter what. I have a handful of people who have like carte blanche and who I've given carte blanche to because I know they're introducing me to interesting people or whatever. But for the most part, I'm like, please ask. Because yeah. maybe I want the introduction, but not, not for a month or something, yeah. just because my schedule is crazy or whatever. No. And that's... Oh, I wish I could teach everybody that. I made a TikTok on that. I was like, let's talk about email etiquette. And that was one of the things because so many people will just send me an email and they're like, hey, Natalie, wanted to introduce you to this person. And I'm like, who is this? Yeah, <laughs> like, I have no idea who this is. It's crazy to me when people do that. Yeah. It's like such a red flag. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally agree. Let's talk about styling hair because it is a whole production, especially when you are battling frizz. And take it from me, I live in Miami, Florida. It is about to be summer. I really know frizz, but honestly, I would rather be doing something else like booking a spontaneous vacation to St. Bart's or rewatching the Heirs tour for like the third time. You know, the important stuff. But who actually has time for frizz? Introducing Way's new anti-frizz cream, it is like a superhero for your hair. It provides immediate frizz control that lasts up to 72 hours. I actually brought it on a trip with me and my friend borrowed it and she purchased it right then and there because it was that good. So how does this fit into my hair routine? It is the best thing I could have done for my hair. I am all about saving time and the anti-frizz cream does just that. Plus the Sydney inspired North Bondi scent is so amazing. You can thank bergamot, Italian lemon, violet, and more. And as someone who is always concerned about heat damage, because I definitely use a lot of heat on my hair, this anti-frizz cream provides heat protection, which is such a big relief. And my hair feels so much lighter and looks smoother after using it. Get busy being frizz-free with Way's new anti-frizz cream. It's not just about taming frizz. It also provides heat protection up to 450 degrees, reduces and repairs split ends, quenches dry hair with intense hydration. And according to a consumer perception study, 90% of participants agreed that their hair looked less frizzy after using it. I can definitely contest that. And while you're at it, check out Way's other bestsellers like the leave-in conditioner, which I also use, detox shampoo, fragrances, hair oils, and hair gloss. They're all essential for achieving that salon-worthy look at home. So you can frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter promo code RealReal for 15% off any product. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code RealReal. 
Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today as it should with Earnin. Earnin is an app that is changing the game when it comes to getting paid. Imagine having access to the money you've earned as you work, not just waiting for payday. With Earnin, you can access up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Just download the Earnin app and verify your paycheck. Then access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So think about it. The next time you're planning a special night out, you need a last minute gift for a loved one, or you face an unexpected expense, like maybe a trip to the vet, Earnin has you covered. For me, it's about having the flexibility to handle those surprise expenses that life throws my way. So whether it's unexpected bills or needing to cover rent when things are tight, Earnin gives me peace of mind knowing that I have access to my hard earned cash when I need it most. Make Earnin a part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability, security. It gives me a lot of peace of mind. Download Earnin today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type Real Real under podcast when you sign up. It really helps the show, so please don't forget that step. Real Real under podcast. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. And I know that you said when you saw the Olipop pitch deck, you like instantly knew there was something special. You wanted to email them. What was it about the deck itself? Was it just the idea or was it you know, their vision? Was it the founders? Like what made it stand out to you so much that you wanted to talk to them and then you wanted to even like leave and, and work for them? Honestly, the deck was like aesthetically beautiful. And okay. I think it's a good barometer of like how much the founders care about the details is like how much effort do they know that graphic designers exist? Because some don't, right? And they just make their like <laughs> bare bones pitch deck, which is okay sometimes. But like, in a world where branding and packaging are everything, like mm-hmm. your deck is your first introduction to the brand. And it's like how much effort they put into the deck and what their creative contacts in their lives, it's like translates into how it looks. And then the packaging was awesome. And like, I just, to me, like healthy cola, healthy root beer. And the other skew was, it, sorry, it was actually ginger lemon, strawberry vanilla and cola were the first three. And like, I just, again, I'd seen like Halo Top explode in Better For You ice cream and Smart Sweets was blowing up at the time, Better For You candy and Siete did it with Doritos. And I just like saw this trend over and over. Uh, Simple Mills did it with Cheez-Its. And I was like, no one's done good soda, right? There's like kombucha and sparkling water and tea, but none of those hit the the soda occasion. And soda is a 40 billion plus dollar category in the US. So like it had like everything I'm interested in. Plus the packaging was amazing. And I grew up on soda. I was like, mm-hmm. I want a healthy root beer. Me like, too. And I also knew, I always tell the story, like my dad was putting like flax seeds and everything when I was a kid and was like obsessed with fiber. And I don't know even where that came from, to be honest, but I was always kind of aware of fiber and its importance. And I, in the venture world, I was watching this like proliferation of like gut health and gut health adjacent startups kind of beginning. And so one of the perks of being in venture capital, you can kind of like see trends coming because you're watching these brands develop and seeing what's taking off. And I just was like gut health and soda and like putting them into one can. And, you know, nine, we have nine grams of fiber in every can of Olipop. There's six different types of prebiotics. There's a botanical blend that has gut health benefits as well. The product is quite complicated, actually. And I just was like, I want this. Mm -hmm. Like something, sometimes it's so simple as like, you know, some investors get tripped up on what, what they want or what's useful in their life. But I feel like I have like a decent like understanding of like mass scale and like what products Americans really want. And, it, you know, for me, it was like as long as this thing's priced under three dollars, like three dollars is a super important price point in beverage because there's a lot of these like better for you products you see at Erewhon that are like five dollars and ninety nine cents. And it's like no normal person, you know, Walmart is ever going to pay six bucks for a drink. There's one really one beverage brand that's ever scaled past a billion dollars north of a three dollar price point. It's Red Bull. And so I knew that as well. And I when they told me like Olipop's not organic as an example for a reason, right? If it was an organic product, be the ingredients we use would be five bucks and then you're not helping the soda drinkers who like need it. Right. You're just selling to like, you know, wealthy moms at Whole Foods. And so the, everything that when I talked to Ben and David about their vision of it and what they're trying to do and how they were trying to really help people who need it was like exactly what I was kind of motivated around too. So mm-hmm. it's kind of a perfect, it's kind yeah. of a perfect. It was funny because I was at the startup that literally failed like a week before I got their pitch deck and I was in a dark place. I was like, you know, how many people have been through a like, 
complete uh, startup that goes completely bankrupt and like lose your job overnight. And, you know, it was a perfect time that, for that to happen because I was a f- complete free agent for the first time ever. Yeah. And I was able to call Ben and Dave and be like, I get to start working tomorrow, <laughs> which was kind of nice. <laughs> yeah. And when you were at the startup that failed, and I know you said it wasn't a good experience, but I guess what did you take away from that that you've, if you do ever go and start your own thing or that you brought into Olipop of even like what not to do? Or yeah, what no. are some like red flags you look for in companies? It was a bad mental experience, but I learned a lot. I didn't trust my gut. Like I didn't actually think it was that great of an idea, but like it raised all this money and it looked on the surface like, you know, it was going well. And, you know, a classic lesson, raising money doesn't necessarily mean the business is doing well. It means the founder is good at raising money. doesn't mean they're a good operator. The, I didn't ask for financials before I got there. He kind of told me a bunch of the financials and like they were bleeding cash. It was gross margin negative, like all this stuff that I know in retrospect is like, how did you not ask that? But I just like wanted to be in LA and I wanted to be at a startup and the comp they paid me was good at the time. So, and you know, the culture there was horrible. I figured out within like two weeks that people were miserable. Founder was a very independently wealthy guy. He had no ability to manage people and they were just like throwing money at problems and covering things up. And like culture is so important. And mm-hmm. our culture at Lollipop is like world-class, incredible. We've gotten great employee retention. We do 250 bucks a month per person for like health and wellness and mental health and like all the little things like value. You know, culture is not what people write on the walls in the office. That's that's all lip service. Like, yeah. how do you show up for people? How do you, you know, treat people? How do you ask for things? How do you manage? How do you manage up? How do you manage down? Like, all those little things and like the company I was, I was just like, oh shit, Joe, like the culture was so bad. And, you know, I didn't ask those questions. I didn't do the right reference checks going into it, but I learned a ton and I feel like it's informed a lot of how I, I bring myself to the table at Olipop. Obviously being on like the founding team, I've had a big part in our culture and, you know, I take it really seriously. And I think almost everyone on the leadership team at Olipop has actually come from a bad culture and like realized that no matter how well the company's doing or whatever, like. If the culture is bad, it's not worth it. And I think we've had all these people that have defected from bad cultures and we're specifically looking for a good culture and, and found Olipop. And it's like pretty special because we're all like really obsessed with each other. It's kind of yeah, cool. I agree. Whenever, I mean, at Rella, that's one of the things that it is like the number one priority is making sure that everyone that works with us, which we have a really small team. So it's easy for us to have good culture, I think, with a small team. But that's the foundation is yeah. like 10 people but like yeah. making sure that we are like you said actually showing up for them and like caring about them as human beings because just saying like hey here are our values communication is key and be honest and transparent like unless you actually put that into action and you care about them and care about their lives and their well-being it doesn't matter yeah. like what you say at all so that's always been like a big important thing and even though we're small i think that's one of the things we're like most proud of is uh, our first engineer just left because he's starting his own thing. So like and he had actually left prior in like earlier in the earlier days of Rella because when we had like no money. So we really couldn't pay anyone that much money. And he came back like two months later because he like hated the culture of this other startup that he was working at. Yeah, I think it's something like we I just saw the stat. We had a leadership offsite with our executive coach two weeks ago. I think it was like 70 percent of employees say they're not not happy with the culture yeah. of the companies they work at, which is wild. It is crazy. So I think uh, we're really proud of that. But we want to keep it that way even as we do grow and expand. It's the very team. hard with scale, right? We've grown from 40 to 110 people in the last 18 months. And it's like you start growing really fast and you just want to fill seats with where mm-hmm. you need bodies and you need resources. But like, I think we've done a really good job like maintaining the hiring rigor and being like, we're not just going to hire to fill a seat. We're going to hire the right person. And whether that means it takes an extra month or two, you know, we've rushed some hires and that has bitten us, right? Yeah. We've had a couple that did not work out so well. And like, that can set you back way further. <laughs> so right. it's like, it's hard. It's hard in the moment to like recognize that. But I think it's really important. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And when you got to Olipop, you were the first employee. So they took a first outside of like the two founders, right? So what made you stand out to them? I guess like if anyone's listening and they want us to work at a startup and they want to, you know, get hired, was it just a normal job application? Or were you, you know, oh, when no, you contacted was, no. them, it was like, Hey, it was nothing. Samples in a soda stream that like was a month, two months from launching, mm-hmm. but they needed money. I mean, they were raising money and I knew that and I knew I thought I could help because I knew how to tell that story. I knew exactly what they were doing. And I knew the spiel and like I've I obviously hadn't raised money at that point, but I'd been on the investor side for three yeah. years and I knew the spiel and I knew who the right seed investors were. And like 
I mean, to, to be completely transparent, I was like, it was contingent on us raising money was me coming on board, but I had just met the founders of RX Bar and they had just sold the Kellogg's for $600 million. And I had gotten in touch with them through somebody and they were like very interested in getting into investing and wanted me to share deals with them. And like, I didn't know it at the time, but they were actually very interested in fiber at RX Bar. They were looking at a fiber line and I literally introduced the iPop guys to one of the RX Bar founders and like in their first meeting, he committed to investing a million dollars into the company. So it was wow. like the first introduction I made was like the one. Yeah, that's <laughs> um, amazing. And I think it immediately gave you know them credibility too that I knew what I was doing and I knew right. what I was talking about, which I didn't know what I was doing, but you know, I was winging it uh, like we all are. And then I just like have continued to find ways to be helpful and my role has continued to evolve. It's always been kind of undefined. I kind of view myself as like head of growth, pushing the business in new directions. And like, I think every business needs someone who's not just heads down doing what their task is every day and is actually looking at what, looking around the curb, what's like, okay, if we're launching it like Walmart and Target and Publix and we're not just in Whole Foods and Sprouts anymore, like what needs to change about the business to get us there? And like, I kind of tackled that for us. And then, you know, as TikTok was exploding during COVID, it was like, okay, what's our strategy? Are we going to get on TikTok? And like, I just made an account and started messing around and like took six months to really figure it out. But someone had to do that. Mm -hmm. Right. And then it was like, okay, we want to get into the world of celebrity and music. Like, how does that work? And I'm fortunate where I have all these contacts and relationships that other brands or at the talent agencies or whatever who've done this stuff before. And every time we want to figure something out, I just go and like talk to everyone I can and like distill down what's important and what's not. And we've been fortunate where we've been able to like raise the amounts of money and the business has grown to allow me to test new things. And like mm -hmm. we can throw, you know, twenty, thirty thousand dollars at something to test and see if it works, which I again, not every brand can do that. Right. But I think you have to continue testing and iterating because there's so many businesses, especially in food and beverage that like can kind of like get their way to 30 to 50 million in revenue just by selling in your obvious channels of like Whole Foods and Sprouts and Erewhon. But you have to evolve the business past that to really grow and really reach scale in middle America. And I think we've done a really good job of doing that. And um, it's something that I've obsessed over for five years. It's something I learned in the VC world. It was all these like premium products that would crush it in Whole Foods and then like didn't translate in Walmart because they weren't set up for it and they weren't they didn't change their communication strategy. They didn't change the influences they were working with. They didn't change whatever their marketing tactics were because they're very different strategies depending on who you're selling to. Yeah. And so I think we've done a good job of like evolving the business. And we have to do it all again this year. We're about to launch in a bunch of convenience store chains. And that's a whole nother animal. And you've got to do a whole bunch of other stuff to make that work. So mm -hmm. that's what kind of this year is about for us. I mean, you guys have done an amazing job, I think, at that. Like, I see what do you, you everywhere. About us in the world? Like, so what has piqued your interest? For in me, the branding is obviously what caught my eye at first. Like, that was the first thing. And the fact that it reminded me of when I would drink soda as a kid, because I was a big soda drinker as a kid. Like, my family had the liters of, you know, Coke and Where are you from? Sprite. I grew up in Florida and North Carolina. Okay. So kind of half and half in both. But I always drank soda. And then in 2018, New Year's of 2018, I made it my resolution to not drink soda again. I was mm. like, I'm done drinking soda. Like, it's so bad for you. I mean, long September 2018. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I didn't find you guys until maybe like 2022. We only sold in California for the first year and a half. Okay. Yeah. So 2022 would make yeah. sense for when I found you guys for 2021. But uh, yeah, I stopped drinking soda, but I missed it still. So I would drink sparkling water and I never tried a soda stream just because I didn't really like think I would like mixing my own flavors yeah. together because I don't want just like strawberry soda you know yeah. like I want like it to taste like coke yeah and so I found you guys it said like vintage cola and I was very skeptical I was like okay it's healthy like how good can this actually be and then I was hooked because I was like oh my god this tastes like diet coke like this truly does and I always would drink diet coke so I'm like this like really does kind of like the exact target consumer. Like, yeah, that's the people that were going after. Yeah, no, I was instantly obsessed, and then I... and the skepticism is another hurdle that we're always trying to because like I think there's a skepticism of brands that market a lot. To be honest, like if you feel like you see something everywhere, you're like, this can't be. It's all paid for. Whatever yeah. influencers aren't to be trusted. Whatever, which I don't believe at all. But and then the second component is just like. The, historically, low sugar drinks do not taste as good as exactly. full sugar drinks. And I'm not saying our product is going to replace you know, the same taste profile as Coca-Cola with 40 grams of sugar in it and fake sweeteners, but I think it's pretty darn close. I think it's the closest thing out there. I think it's super there. close. Our I grape agree. is like, I think, way better than any super fake 
grape juice, grape yeah. soda out in the market. So I think we have some flavors that are actually better because they taste more real. Mm-hmm. And the, as American palates have changed and, you know, people are getting away from that super fake stuff with the artificial colors and flavors in it. Like, I don't know, we're kind of, kind of perfectly positioned. Like our grape soda, has our great classic grape has like real Concord grape juice in it and mm-hmm. lime. And like people can taste that. Mm-hmm. that it actually tastes real and doesn't taste like a synthetic grape. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, now, like if I ever have a sip of a Diet Coke or a Coke, it's like I don't even like it that much yeah. anymore because I'm used to now literally only drinking you guys or just like a sparkling water. Like I don't like the super sugary drinks anymore. Have so you had our cream soda? No, I've had your root beer and your Dr. Pepper. Uh, I know the cream they're called... is crazy. Okay, it's really good. I'll have to try. It's and not in Whole Foods, so it's like hard to find. But it's at Target. I think it's at Walmart now. Mm-hmm. I think I saw you guys at Whole Foods. First, Walmart has like almost the most flavors of anyone. Whole Foods has everything except for cream. Okay, for whatever. Reason, yeah, I but... think I think I saw you guys in Whole Foods first. I'm not exactly sure, and I'm not sure if I saw you like through social media or if I just went to the grocery store and saw you. I don't really remember, but. I knew I was like hooked instantly. So now I get like everyone on it and I'm Dang. like always buying it and like talking we about it. We have very it, high so. word of mouth. People love to share and talk about it. And they obviously I had been involved in so many brands before and I just have never seen something like this where like the number one comment we get on social is like, I tell all my friends about this yeah. or like everyone has somebody in their life who's trying to get off soda. It's like oh, usually a relative, a mom and dad, an aunt and uncle. And we're like, a solution and it's mm-hmm. this highly shareable thing that's like oh my mom's been drinking like dr pepper my whole life and she's got cavities and she's mm-hmm. you know obese or whatever and like there's this product that actually is kind of a solution so yeah right. people and everyone has a soda story i've noticed like everyone has some soda like i grew up drinking i'd play mini golf with my grandpa in the summer and we'd get birch beer after that was like yeah. my go-to i mean my mom i mean nowadays my mom is way more into health like we don't have soda in the house anymore we have like olipop for example or like sparkling water and stuff but Growing up, we would just have soda like for dinner, for any it's crazy, right? Yeah, like and like now, I mean, we don't have that. But I mean, people are every every now and then I meet people that like surprise me, like still drink like a full sugar Coke a day, and I'm like, it's like healthy people that live in LA, but it's like their vice, and I'm like, holy smokes, it's like I, you're only supposed to have more than like 30 grams of sugar a day, and like one can of Coke's got 44 grams, I think. It's crazy. And like if you're drinking two, some people are drinking two or three of those yeah. a day. It's like holy smokes. Yeah, I know some people that drink like multiple Mountain Dews in a day. I don't know. And I think Mountain Dew is the worst one, I think. I mean, it's like sugar. Depends what you're measuring, but they're all all pretty bad. Yeah, Mountain Dew is very, very nice. Yeah. So I know someone that's doing that. No, but that's how I found you guys. And I know that you said that, you know, the way that you market it towards different types of people, you have to have different strategies. How did you start, though, with growth? Like, I'm assuming you didn't have the highest budget at first if you just raised what, like a pre seed or seed round at first. So, what was your initial. Like We've never role. had that high budgets. I think people are always surprised when they look at our financials. Like we, our percentage of spend marketing sales is like half the industry's norm. To oh, be wow. Honest. Yeah. So how do you do it on a budget? Like what's your first, what was the first thing you tested? What was the first thing that worked? How I long did you stick to it? I get this question it? a lot and from like smaller brands that are trying to figure it out. Like we've had some like quasi lucky things happen at Lollipop. Like we didn't sell a can outside of California for the first year and a half. So we like really got to know our customer. We wanted to know what they liked, what they didn't like. Are they going to pick something up that says soda? We used to call it a sparkling tonic on the can, which was really mm-hmm. confusing to people. We realized we had to change that. And then, you know, end of 2019, we raised our Series A. I was needling to launch e-commerce. So we set up a website. We literally flipped it on like Feb 2020 and then COVID hits. And like we were ready for that. And it was kind of the best thing that ever happened to us because it forced us to honestly go out and figure out how to do paid social digital marketing podcast advertising influencer marketing and like everyone's cooped up everyone's shopping online it was a perfect time to dive into those things and so it's just like i don't know like growth has been has had many different forms for us but like for covid we were like an e-commerce brand and we were on like e-commerce podcasts and mm-hmm. we were like a, in that world and now it's like you know 15 percent of our revenue maybe is dot com and amazon and we've had to like rejigger the growth playbook over the last couple of years as like the world's opened back up and as we've launched these more like mass retailers the the more mass we get as we launch and scale in retail like the less it makes sense to drive people to our site for the first order because we sell 40 dollars 12 packs on the site and we sell you know two dollar cans in store so that Walmart shopper that's going in to buy the everyday low price or somebody maybe at like Whole Foods Express only shops on promotion, like they're probably not going to be your e-commerce shopper at that price point. So I had to kind of like, or we had to kind of rethink the 
communication strategy. And like, we basically inverted everything in 2022 to be really focused on like top of funnel awareness, lower CPM, uh, more of like, uh, you know, how do we reach the right audience with the right message as opposed to being always being focused on like, D2C conversion optimized marketing where you're only selling to like your lowest hanging fruit, something I talk about all the time. Mm -hmm. And it's honestly opened up my whole world in a lot of ways because it now I'm just focused on doing the most interesting, you know, partnerships or whatever I can do that hit very different audiences that help, you know, towards a goal, whether that's, you know, it's a convenience store or Costco or Kroger, Walmart or Target, whatever. And I'm not just focused on like the D2C customer acquisition game because that's it's really hard in beverage. And it's also just like, it's really narrow who you can go after for that. Yeah. And so, you know, it's evolved. And TikTok's been a huge component of that. We've done 2 billion views on, you know, product placement videos with creators in the last two years. And that's been a huge component of, I think, a lot of our like top of funnel success. And then this year, we're going to do more like middle funnel storytelling partnerships that are not just product placement, but are more working with specific influencers, athletes, musicians to actually tell stories about the brand and get the point across that it does taste really good. Like what, what is storytelling when you say working with like celebrities, for example? So we did this partnership, like a big ad campaign with Camila Cabello. It was like a kind of your textbook brand marketing campaign. Mm -hmm. We shot this whole ad with her and her family. It was more an emotional ad, I would say, that was more like meant to be top of funnel and talk to her fans. We didn't have her like talk about the product at all or showcase how good it tasted. I think you have like, to me, top of funnel awareness is like just having the product out there, being in the Barbie music video last year, right? That's like a cool cultural moment. Mm -hmm. It's really meant to drive top of funnel views and awareness that we exist, but it doesn't tell them anything about what the product is, mm-hmm. right? So maybe that's the way I would think about it is like you have marketing that's just meant to get the product out in the world and let people know it exists. But then the middle of the funnel is like telling them that it's good it. or that it's good for them, mm-hmm. one of the two. And so, you know, there's plenty of influencers that we can work with to help tell, you know, stories around our ingredients and the fact that we have nine grams of prebiotic fiber and we've done actual research on the product to prove that it is efficacious in the gut. And like, we haven't told that story much yet. So that's to me, that's what, what like storytelling means. Same thing with like athletes, right? You can do like product placement with an athlete where they're walking into the, you know, locker room before the game and they're holding a can. That's just like cool cultural yeah. awareness. But if you actually get someone in a video talk, you're doing like we worked with uh, Chan and Johnson, you know, she is her husband's in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Ju and Chan is their TikTok. She's amazing. And we had them do like, uh, blindfolded taste test of the products on TikTok where he was like drinking and guessing what it was. And that's much more storytelling than right. just like product placement. Right. Okay. And like, what was the first thing that you guys did that you were like, oh, this is, this works. Let's double down on it. Was it influencer marketing? Was it just organic content? Was it digital ads? Like what I was mean, the thing that worked I think the first? like light bulb moment was our first month of doing like a real influencer campaign during COVID. And it was like the really traditional like, three to five frames, discount code, swipe up, buy now. And like, I think the first one that really blew my mind was like this account. She's actually based in LA. It's called Trader Joe's List. It's an account. Oh, I, f- I follow it, I think. Yeah, Natasha. Yeah. She like, we weren't even in Trader Joe's. We've never been in Trader Joe's, but she just has this like crazy converting audience. And like, I didn't know this world existed. Like yeah. we got introduced to this agency and they, you know, onboarded us and they were like, you know, we'll do a test, like 25K, whatever, like 10 creators, something like that. And she did like, I think it was like 10 grand in sales from her story post about us. And we're not in Trader Joe's. It's just like posting about it. And I, I remember seeing it come in on Shopify and I was like, holy shit. Like it was wow. the most sales we'd ever done in a day at that point. And then we did a podcast ad right around the same time. It was right before the 2020 election. And it was on Pod Save America. It's a big kind of center left political podcast. And we got really lucky. They called us like a day before. They like, we had an ad open up in our ad, you know, thing tomorrow. We can't tell you what the guest is, but it's a huge guest. And it was Joe Biden. And it was like a month before the election and we got like an ad read in this episode and the host went way off script and they like, you know, gave this really passionate, like they, one of the guy, one guy's like a big diet Coke guy. And he was like, I've never tasted anything that could get me off diet Coke until I found all I pop, like amazing testimonial. And that did like 50 K in sales. And that was for a us. singular ad read. Yeah. One like two minute ad read. That's crazy. It was crazy. I mean, it was nuts. It was like the best testimonial. I wish we could have like cut, clipped it and cut it down and used it in our own ads. But yeah, so like when I saw some of that stuff happen and like there was some element of luck there, to be honest, but you start seeing these direct results and you're like, oh, snap, like this, this can really work. (laughs) But then it like started not working. Like within nine months, I would say when the world was starting to open back up again and people weren't just cooped up at home, like you know, we ran some of the same podcasts, we ran some of the same influencers, and it just didn't hit the same. And so 
you know, that's why we've had to kind of keep evolving the thing because mm -hmm. like stuff that works now, like might not work in a year. And you have to like, I don't know what's going to happen with TikTok, right? A lot of people are saying TikTok's getting diluted with TikTok shop. Like what's going to happen there is a new. Are you on TikTok shop? Is Olipop? I think we are. We've had like some issue with like how to handle like the taxes in across state lines okay. on there. So I don't know. We're kind of on there. Okay. <laughs> We're not pushing it super hard, but I don't know. I feel like a lot of the comments I see from people just broadly are that like, every third video on TikTok is an ad now and they're trying to sell you something. And I think people don't want to be sold to. That's part of my whole strategy with this product placement stuff is like, I just want people to know exist and think we're cool. I don't want to like, bash them over the head with a sales pitch at every turn because I think people just get sick of that. And I think we have a product that sells itself. Like people, totally, yeah. our customers do some of the selling for us. So it's like getting them over the hump and letting people know that we exist and getting people to try it for the first time. That's kind of my goal. But yeah. we've got such good word of mouth. I think with ads, the best way to do it is having the consumer feel like they found you themselves, even if it was an ad or like on social, like there's something that I, I use, um, Armour Colostrum. Do you know what that is? You've probably seen ads for I've it. been blasted with, by more ads from them than anyone else in the yes. last six months. I see ads for them everywhere. I've like tried to like, I actually got connected to someone on their team and we couldn't find time to talk or whatever. And I was like, what's going on over there? Yeah, I want to interview the founder. She lives so in, much money. She lives in Miami and I think I'm going to interview her. So I'm I know excited. the newsletters are running ads in because we, we've run, I feel like I've bought every type of media you can buy almost at this point. I know mm -hmm. what things cost and what they should cost and they're on every newsletter we've ever worked with. I see them. Yeah, like I'm, I'm sure they're doing a ton of podcast ads. I, I don't, listen yeah. to that many podcasts but so i've been using them and i i use them even before i got blasted with all these ads my mom has been using it for like two years or something so oh, wow. a long time but i just started using them like maybe a year ago or last year it is the only thing that has helped like clear my skin and like wow. make my hair grow like i have tried so much after i got off birth control my hormones went crazy and that was like the only thing that helped and so i have told everyone about it because I have been really open about like my skin journey and like hair and all of this stuff like on my social media that people have noticed they're like oh your skin looks a lot clearer now or like what are you doing and I'm like so excited to be telling people about this product so yeah. I've never gotten paid from them never worked with them in an ad sense but because I'm surprised they haven't reached out like I'm we're constantly perusing no. <laughs> we're like constantly perusing social for people and even when creators or whoever managers or whatever reach out saying XYZ loves Olipop they love to work with you I'm like have they ever posted it like yeah. do you have any analytics because if you show me a story that had like really good engagement of you posting Olipop I'm like great let's do something yeah no I posted something and it got like so many clicks and conversions were with sales because I like linked it to an affiliate for Armour. So, yeah. yeah. So like, I know it sold a lot. And so I'm hopefully going to work with them. One do you, day. What do you do your affiliate through LTK? Mm -hmm. LTK. There's Amazon. We're, we're going well. to sign up for LTK. Yeah, I do LTK mainly just because it's an easier to have everything in yeah. one place. Affiliate's such a weird world, but yeah. But I like it doesn't feel like a sale because it's like they know that I've been talking about my skin they know that this is something i'm excited about so if i even did an ad for them that's exactly how i would sound yeah. and like i think it would do better because people would think it's like a friend yeah. recommending it like when i say similarly when i talk about olipop it's like oh my god i swore off soda for so long yeah. i used to love soda and now i found this now i can have my little treat at night it's relatable <laughs> it's understandable yeah. Yeah. yeah i mean that that podcast ad was like the best performing one we've ever had but then like we did Dak Shepard, who's also like a known Diet Coke drinker. And like, mm -hmm. he just read the exact talking points I gave him and didn't go off script at all. He was like recording it for whatever reason in that episode alone without his co-host. And we had done an onboarding call with the co-host. And mm -hmm. um, I was super excited about it. And it just didn't perform. And it was also like where they slot you in in the episode, like yeah. the pod save when we were early, the Dak's when we were late in the episode. So just like, there's so much variability in that stuff. And that's why you got to, you know, be able to stomach the losses to yeah. hope to find the wins. <laughs> yeah. And is your role coming up with these strategies and has it evolved? I mean, now that you guys have 110 people, I'm sure you delegate also like, okay, you do this, you do this. But like, what's your role right now? Is it overarching strategy or are you still very much in the weeds? It's a good question. It's kind of ever evolving. It was used to just like be kind of mean. Then we had a social gal and a couple of creatives. And I was managing all of this paid stuff, influencer podcasts, all through agencies, honestly. I like mm -hmm. believe in agencies for this stuff. The last year we've grown a lot. We hired like a VP of marketing. We hired a PR director. We hired a media lead. And so I feel like it's like the three to four of us coming up with ideas. I'm probably the most the highest on the idea generating side, but like mm -hmm. an idea can come from anyone. Mm -hmm. And 
now we kind of triangulate between like media PR and me as like, what, what's their strategy? What are we trying to do? Right. We're launching at Wawa and it's like, how do we want to attack that Philadelphia market, which is so synonymous with Wawa and looking at it from a media and a PR angle. And we kind of like create these plans together. And like, I try to, you know, Marjorie is our PR director. Like we're in touch every single day on stuff because like I need things that can be PR stories for her. And then she's also coming up with like concepts like that mocktails and minutes thing we did in January, yeah. the mocktail generator on our site. Like she completely came up with that. Like we just needed something for January. And like that was a purely PR driven idea. Um, and then we I layered in influencers to help amplify that. But yeah. it kind of goes like an idea can come from anyone. And then I'm kind of the one usually in charge of like especially if it's like an external partner that we're doing a deal with, like there's the negotiating, there's the lawyers, there's the pricing, there's the deliverables. And so I tend to kind of manage that. And then we've got like, you know, once a deal is signed or about to be signed, we bring in like project managers and creative to like execute it and bring it to life. Yeah. And how quickly do you come up with these ideas and when they get executed? Like mocktail in minutes, when was that an idea? So that was the craziest one we've ever done. That idea was like November 15th and it went live January 3rd. Okay, so quick. That one was crazy. That's not normal. Like three months you need usually at least to put together a good campaign and make sure, especially if like we're doing billboards and stuff now, like those just need time, like for the creative to be created, the billboards to be bought and signed up for. And But there's also things I've been working on for literally like 18 months that are maybe a music artist or somebody that like we had a call with and there was like, not quite a fit or didn't mm -hmm. have the idea. And then like something pops up where the idea is the right idea. And so it could, you know, we have three big like um, professional sports sponsorships that we're about to announce across two different leagues. And like, those are things that all took like six months from like first conversation to like ironing out the package and the pricing. And, you know, for those, they have to like get cleared by other soda brands that they may be working with. So there's like lots of different factors. And yeah. so celebrity stuff takes a long time too because like the contracts are pretty thick and like yeah. you have lawyers on both sides and there's red lines. And like, I think the Camilla contract took us like nine months. Wow, that's yeah. crazy. Which sounds crazy. But if you have like, you know, 10 revisions on each side and each side has to weigh in and you have their red lines, like lawyers don't move very quickly right. historically. And so it could be like, a month and that's just like two sets of red lines going back and forth so mm -hmm. it sounds crazy and then i remember people always telling me that and then once we went through it i was like okay i guess i get it yeah why did you choose camilla cabello to work with like what made her stand out to you guys that you wanted to work with her so again i was just trying to figure out that world didn't even know the difference between the three talent agencies honestly but a friend of a friend is on the like talent partnership team at endeavor wme in new york and i was just like can i pick your brain on this and like he came prepped with like a list of names of like yeah, part of the magic of the talent stuff is like you have to find someone who's open in your category. So for us, like they don't have another soda partner and is like actively wanting to do a partnership with a brand. In our case, it was like open to better for you. You know, knowing that we're not going to pay what Pepsi is going to pay her was important. You know, at the time she was dating Shawn Mendes, who had just done a big water sponsorship with Flow Water. And she had the same thing as you and I grew up on soda and has had some like health issues in her family caused by it and was like very motivated about what we were trying to do. And she got like paparazzi photographed at Erewhon drinking it. So that was kind of serendipitous. And she's also not. Was that a coincidence or was I that like I've a never known the answer calling the paparazzi? I, 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 it was something. I don't know. But. It was after our first conversation, but before we had a good deal in place. So you didn't call the paparazzi. Oh, I didn't. Then. If anything, okay. her team would have called it to okay. like show us that she was drinking in public. But yeah. you know, she's also not inundated with a ton of brand deals. That's like almost the most important thing to me because there's like, you know, name anyone you could think of who's got like twelve brand deals at every any given time. And like it dilutes yeah. the value of the right now. Show. Sophia Richie, I'm seeing her everywhere. She's I mean, think so, about the Kardashians. Yeah, got every, and every, so many everything. brand deals. I mean, good for them. Like, I mean, I love her. You Alex Earl is, you know, a deal so a day many. kind of the yeah. status. Um, and like, you know, power to him. But I want uh, something where we can create something unique and special and tell a story that hasn't been told before. And she really at the time was working with like L'Oreal and Victoria's Secret. And that mm -hmm. was kind of the two. And she hadn't done anything in consumer products. So, you know, and her team was great. There's like so many factors that go into it. Like, I can usually tell within 15 minutes of an intro call if like the, t the talent matters, but th the people around them or the people you're going to be working with. And like, if they're not good people, then a deal like it's not feasible, in my opinion, right. like the people around them. Would be good. Her agent's great. Her managers are great. Like even her whole her whole glam team was great. We just shut down a 
produce section at Walmart to film our first video with her team. And like, that was a whole undertaking. They were great during that. So yeah, the stars aligned. It was a lot of work. Like she's a megastar. So yeah, yeah. there's obviously, you know, hurdles you have to climb that you wouldn't have to with, you know, we have a country artist we're going on tour with this year. We'll announce that in like a month. And he's like big, but he's not, you know, household name superstar global yet. And like, you know, I can just tell the back and forth is going to be much faster and candidly less expensive. <laughs> um, so we're trying to do more of those like mid-tier partnerships this year than, you know, one huge one. Because you also yeah. hit, can hit a lot more audiences and niche audiences by doing more partnerships. So Yeah. Yeah. And what does your day-to-day look like right now as the head of growth? I know it's obviously evolved a lot, but what's kind of your agenda on an average day, let's say? Uh, it's I have so much context switching every day. It's like yeah. insane to kind of think through, but I've always been very involved in our fundraising, right? So we've raised over nine figures of capital. I do a lot of our investor relations. That's like kind of, you know, we have over a hundred investors. So on any given day, like at least one of them wants to talk about something. So that's a component of it. And then, you know, this like, you know, overarching marketing strategy where we're going, you know, what are we trying to do to get there? This particular time of year, I don't know when this podcast is going to come out, but we're talking here in the middle of February, like is insanely busy because we're getting all these partnerships in place that are going to be activated throughout kind of mm-hmm. quarters two through four. And, you know, we have three professional sports teams, two country artists, you know, this Wawa campaign that's coming. Um, there's just like a lot. And it's a lot of lawyers and a lot of contracts, a lot mm-hmm. of managers. And I'm constantly like talking to like the record labels, as an example. I really like the record labels because they know who's... Ha- which artists have music coming out and like which artists they think are going to be blowing out this year. Cause that's an important component of like working with musicians. Like, do they have music or not? And like, how can you integrate into their stuff as opposed to, you know, just having to produce a piece of content together and that having be, to be the only thing. So I'm like constantly talking to people, but then we've got lots of like stuff processes we're building internally as well. I feel like I'm a bit of a Swiss army knife between marketing and sales. And like, I have to like be aware of what's coming down the pipe that we want to market from a sales perspective. But I also need the sales team that's like pitching new business to know what we're working on so that they Mm -hmm. can get buyers excited. So, you know, I do feel like having been on the founding team and having been with Ben and Davis at the beginning, I can like be another set of eyes and ears for them in the business and like really trying to think like a founder instead of like, most people are hired to do like a job and they do the job and they don't like always have a good perspective on like what the business needs. And like, mm-hmm. because I was in the investing world and I've been, you know, in the business now for almost six years, like I just have a good sense of where we need to go and how we need to get there. And like, I'll flag things sometimes. I'm like, we're going in this direction. I'm like, this doesn't make strategic sense for this goal. And like, yeah. sometimes it's hard for like day-to-day employees to like be able to pull out and like see that stuff so yeah. it's crazy though and i i love it i'm like you're learning a lot very uniquely <laughs> suited to it i'm still learning a lot yeah, yeah. i feel totally. like i always tell people i get like a new mba every six months like doing these three sports partnership negotiations the last six months i've like learned a ton about how that world works and you know we're blocked out of most sports venues because they have coke and pepsi contracts that preclude them from working with us so there's like you know, ways we've had to try to find around it or finding these, you know, teams who are building new venues where we can sneak in there before Coke or Pepsi. But yeah, that, that's been a whole wacky world. To, yeah. To navigate. I'm like a big soccer guy now. I went to like probably <laughs> five women's soccer games last year in three different cities. And they're so fun. Yeah. I love it. I yeah. never was a big soccer person, but now I'm like pretty into it. That's awesome. And I'm sure it's been a big change from when you first started, you know, when, you know, it's just oh, I was you doing and samples the founders. At Air One. I was like, yeah you know, doing events in LA. We did like a pop-up. We had, there's this like food hall in downtown LA, LA called Grand Central Market. And I like, had met the woman who was doing the leasing there and she called me out of the blue and was like, hey, we have like a two-week opening. Like, you know anyone who'd want to do, like, do a pop-up? Like, we'll pay for it. But we're just like get, looking to get a cool brand in there. And I was like, honestly, maybe us. Yeah. And like, we took a flyer and it was fucking crazy. Like running a retail shop for 10 days as mm-hmm. like a beverage brand is not something that any of us had ever done, but probably the best worst thing I say, or like best thing I'd never do again, <laughs> kind of yeah. vibe. but it was actually really impactful. And we like, you know, got 5,000 cans out into the LA market. It was like our, you know, we had just launched within six months prior and we actually got a lot of good content out of it. That was actually mm-hmm. the first one I first realized the power of LinkedIn. We got these like really beautiful shots of the space and we hosted like an investor dinner there. And I was like, what do I do with this content? It wasn't like something you'd post on social. Mm-hmm. And I posted on LinkedIn and it got like 50,000 views. And I was like, wow, you can actually use LinkedIn to yeah. like reach the industry. And so that I feel was like, like you've just like 
you're very curious and you try things and that's what works for you yeah, guys. Basically. Which I think is great. <laughs> it, would that be your biggest piece of advice or what would be your biggest piece of advice for a consumer founder right now, especially trying to enter into a pretty crowded space, which is, you know, food and beverage, but just in general into a crowded space? Yeah, I think on the food and beverage, like super early stage founder, I, I don't think most founders like really understand their unit economics and like really figure out if you can actually make a product that can be profitable at some point. Like anyone can make a nice brand and a deck and like put packaging together, but like really understanding supply chain and like knowing like just because you make something in your kitchen that tastes good, like doesn't mean it can be manufactured at scale. And that's a huge issue in the space. And then I think a lot of brands get like some success, they'll raise their series A, they get into like, you know, Whole Foods or something. And then, you know, they don't realize that the thing has to evolve once again to Walmart or Target or Kroger. And like, I think the like constant evolution is what has been a huge component of like our success and like completely growing the brand up into a new stage of the business literally every like year, if not every six months. Yeah. And so just that like ever evolving attitude of like knowing that what's working today might not work in six months and having to constantly evaluate like the next thing and like figuring out the next stage of growth. It's hard to like pull yourself out of the weeds to do that. But you know, you have to as, yeah. as the brand grows and you start talking to new customers, especially these D2C brands. They like gobble up all these early adopters online and then CACs start going up and they're like, ah, I'm going to retail. And it's like, yeah. They don't build a brand. They're just like good at performance marketing. And like, you can't just do that forever. Yeah. No, I think you guys are killing it. And I also think you are doing such a great job at the way that you're evolving, like you were mentioning, because I think a lot of people think Whole Foods, Air One, that's the end all be all. And that's honestly like the beginning, I think. That's not majority oh, of the United scratching States. Scratching the surface. Yeah. yeah. Like I think so many people forget. We did a giveaway with Cheese It and Duncan mm -hmm. like yeah. last year. And people were like, whoa, like better for you brands partnering and it's like some brands are like oh, i don't want to work with that unhealthy brand and we're like right. we're a soda we need to partner <laughs> with these like these are where we're going this is like i want cheese it customers yeah. drinking olipop we had a call with like a another like iconic snack brand the other day and i was like this would be so cool if we could pull this out they're like one of the top you know salty snack brands in, in the convenience channel and they like kill it on tiktok and i'm like they're like, do you like, you know, we're not like a health product. And I was like, that's the point. Like, that, yeah. I want to do unexpected things like yeah. that. And like the industry all moves in like one direction together. Like if people like, I don't know, people see something interesting and then everyone like starts shooting photography like that or doing mm -hmm. partnerships like that. And like, I try to always stay like six months ahead. I'm like, yeah, okay, everyone's going to do this. What's the Olipop thing? And mm -hmm. we have like one idea we're working on this yet. It's like way out of the box. We'd be the first consumer brand to ever do this thing. And it's kind of crazy and we have this like weird unique situation where we can pull off something that would cost like 30 million dollars for way less than that yeah and it's one of those that like could be a complete flop but it could like go viral and like be re a really cool moment for us and like i'm always looking at opportunities that like no one can copy mm -hmm. it's like something i try to think about yeah, a lot because we've I'm had sure a handful of brands come in i was gonna say this. there's a lot of i've, I've noticed some so there's, there's, a, definitely... there's been a proliferation of better for you soda brands yeah um, but I'm... that means you're doing something unique and interesting when people right uh, and more and people something. want it yeah. You know. And you need to build a category. You need multiple brands in there. Yep. Hopefully that all tastes good. You know, we are doing the work from a science and research perspective that, you know, 99.8% of consumer brands don't do. And we're proud of that. But we'd like to set a new industry standard around how people actually, you know, do research on their products and the claims they're making. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, I love hearing about what you guys are doing, how you guys have evolved. And it's cool to hear from someone who just who's employee number one, who I think probably you've attributed to a lot of the growth, I'm going to say, um, <laughs> and all of your ideas. And I think this was a really great episode, especially because I love the brand so much. I'm a big advocate for the brand. Thank we should you. work together. <laughs> I'm here. Yeah. Check out our billboards down there, too. I know. I will. I can't believe I haven't. I probably have seen them, but maybe it's just not coming to me. I don't know. There are a couple like me. Like you work from home or do you go into an office? I go to Edgewater. So I am on the highway. If you if it's like we have some billboards on the highway. Yeah, here. I must have seen There's a what? bunch in Brickell. They go down to Coral Gables. I think. Yeah, no, I've definitely seen it then. I just haven't. I'm also the least observant person. It's probably like dangerous at this point. Like I don't observe. I'm like, like too observant when I drive around. I like, am. I don't look at anything. I love <laughs> billboards. I love out of home advertising. I think it's like hard to measure, but I think it's, you have to do it right. Like I think a lot of brands will like buy a couple of billboards and be like, we yeah. get it. And it's like, we're doing huge retailer promotions at Publix this month. We sponsored the Publix Marathon. We mm -hmm. have a marketing offsite down there next week. We're doing, you know, 20 of us will be down there doing activities. Um, doing we threw like a, we wrapped a double decker bus in branding and did like a food tour thing down there yeah. last weekend. So it all kind of like works together. It's a campaign instead of just like billboards. Right.
Right. Well, I love it. Thank you so much, Stephen, for coming on my podcast. Where can they find you and where can they buy Olipop? Olipop is in 30,000 stores across the country, including Whole Foods, Walmart, Target, Kroger, Wegmans, Erewhon, Sprouts, anyway. Publix, H-E-B, <laughs> soon to be in Wawa next month. And then LinkedIn, Stephen Manilandi, Instagram, Stephen Parker, Manilandi. Perfect. You guys should sell it like like a Papa John's or like um, a... I desperately want to do a fast food partnership. Yeah, or uh, like Subway because those two places specifically are like core memories for me as a kid when I would drink Coke. Like it was like, mm. if I have a Papa John's slice of pizza, I need Coke. Yeah. If I have a sub from Subway, I need a Coke. Yeah, Subway would be... Like there are like some where yeah, it's like, like changing the world, right? If you're in a Subway or McDonald's, but we don't yeah. have fountain soda yet. So that's partially the reason it's hard to sell on that channel and then coke generally from what i understand sells those fountains that drinks like at a loss so the retailers can make a lot of money on them and it's sort of like a marketing play and mm. we just can't do that yet yeah. so like we're in sweet green we do really well in there yeah. and some of these accounts that do more grab and go we can play in but most of the fast food chains are all right. fountain so right. hopefully we'll have fountain at some point in okay. the near well, i would kill for only pop fountain soda i think it'd be the best thing ever yeah it would be well thank you so much this is great you're welcome thanks for listening to this week's episode of the real real i hope that you enjoyed and don't forget to rate review follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast app you can follow me personally on instagram at natalie barbu and the podcast at the real real podcast i'll see you next monday Hey, my name is Lovan Roomf, and I've been working my ass off as a celebrity stylist by day and a podcast host by night. At the Low Life Podcast, it's all about keeping it real. We're talking fashion, beauty, to religion, sex, drugs, mental health. I mean, there's no topic off limits here, and vulnerability is mandatory. You can find my podcast, The Low Life, that's L-O, no W, everywhere and anywhere you listen to your podcasts. New episodes are out every Thursday. We'll see you then.